This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast on a Friday, December 15th. This is podcast. Number 145 brought to us by the great people at Bed Rivers. And of course, uh, we need to delve into your Philadelphia Eagles here. We got to wait till Monday night before they play. But I'll just give you a little backdrop. First of all, the news is Geno Smith's playing. That moved the line down to Seattle minus three. All right. There are a lot of people out there that are spooked that the Eagles could possibly lose this game. I was with uh, some of my hometown friends last night as we were having a, be- a little feast and uh, smoking cigars and, and drinking a, a little bourbon afterwards. And uh, I got two buddies that are just beside themselves about the Eagles. And like this bridge is going to wholly collapse. And, you know, like one of those old rickety bridges, like uh, on a bridge of the River Kwai, where the, the, the planks break and you fall, you fall through. It's like these guys are all freaking out. I'm trying to calm them down. And they, and they go, I'm, you know, this team is falling apart. I go, they have only fallen apart against the standard teams. We all knew that the three best teams in the NFC were the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. So you got to put it in perspective. You can't look at, well, but they were just getting by the skin of their teeth, winning all this. It doesn't really matter that they were getting by with the skin of the teeth. They were getting wins while other teams don't get wins. So you got to convince yourself that the Eagles are still among the top three in the NFC. But if you measure them against the other two, they're not there. That's the only thing you got to worry about. Like, you don't worry about the rest of the season collapsing because I believe the Eagles will run the table for the rest of the season. That doesn't mean that I'm going to feel any better about when they match up against the 49ers, which is an inevitable circumstance, by the way. Uh, and so uh, let's let's look. And I'm trying to tell these guys, that, listen, there's just the two measuring sticks. And what you learn about the Eagles is they're a pretty good team. They're not as good as the 49ers and Cowboys. I know there are a lot of people who don't want to hear that, but if you have two clear eyes, you can plainly see that those teams are more well-rounded. They're a little deeper. Their plans are a little better. And we were all worried coming into the season. How would the new coordinators affect the Eagles? Well, it turns out it's affecting them. And it turns out the head coach isn't able to overcome it or his plan is not good enough. So let's look at where they are right now, because there's a lot of people that freaked out. That's what my buddies were talking about last night. They showed me this, this graph. Look, the Eagles are the fifth seed. But that's a fallacy, because the Eagles aren't going to be the fifth seed. They're going to win some – even if – they let's say they lose to Seattle. Dallas is going to lose one of their games. They have three tough games coming up, two on the road, one against the Dolphins, one at home against the Lions, and one at the Bills, which is this week. So they're going to, so there are two things going to happen. Eagles could sweep. Dallas could sweep. 
in which case the Eagles would get the number two seed based on the tie-breaking procedure, which is common opponents. Dallas has lost to the Cardinals. If the Eagles beat the Cardinals and everything just pans out the way I just said, the Eagles will still get the number two seed. They're only the fifth seed right now because their record in the division is one less game than the Cowboys. Cowboys are 4-1, and one, the Eagles are 3-1. and one. That's why they're stacked the way they are, because if the season ended now, they would be the fifth seed. But that doesn't take into account that they have to play two more division games, and they're going to wind up tied with the Cowboys. And at that point, it goes to the third tiebreaker, which is the common opponents, which the Eagles would have the edge on. All right, so let's not worry about that. Either way... Whether they stay in the fifth seed or they get the second seed, inevitably, they're going to have to play the 49ers in San Francisco. Unless they get the second seed, win their first game, which they will, to the Packers or Vikings, and then lose to the Lions at home, which to me is very possible. I don't think it will happen, but I think it's very possible. So if it doesn't happen, the NFC title game they would have to win in San Francisco. If they're the fifth seed and win against the Tampa Bay Bucks, which they certainly will, the second game would be at the 49ers. In either case, they won't win that game. So I I have come to the conclusion. I don't freak out because I look at the inevitability of it. Could the Eagles pull an upset in San Francisco? I guess. But it's a remote chance that they would be able to go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers there. So I have come to grips with the fact that the Eagles were good this year, not quite good enough to get to the Super Bowl because they're not as good as the 49ers. And so what that means, just like every other season it ends, when the Philly season ends, they go, okay, what do we have to add? When the Sixers season it ends, and invariably that ends in the second round, it's like the offseason is, well, what do we have to add to get to that? And it's, you keep building and you hope one day you're good enough to actually get there again. All right. So that that's where I am. I, I've tried not to be affected by the tumultuous events of Philadelphia sports because I've seen it so many times. I go, OK, I have to face up to reality. When the Phillies lost to the Astros, I said the Phillies weren't as good as the Astros. They threw bullets out of the bullpen. They couldn't hit them. So now you got to figure out a way to you get your bullpen as good as the Astros. And they did. And then they fell short by losing to a crappy team like the Arizona Diamondbacks. So that's what bothers me more. When you're good enough to beat a team, which they were to beat the Arizona Diamondbacks, that's what freaks me out. When you're not as good a- enough to beat the Astros or the 49ers, that doesn't freak me out. Because that means the organization has failed somewhere along the line. And then they have to make up for their failures. And that's the inevitability of sports, and especially the inevitability of sports in Philadelphia. All right, let's look at the game now. Geno Smith is playing. Let's look at whether the Seattle Seahawks can beat the Eagles, which, would again, this would mean three straight losses for the Eagles. But if Seattle loses, it would be four straight losses for them. So uh, the law of averages says Seattle at home, pretty good. They have a good chance to beat the Eagles. They do. I don't think they will. So let's look at the, uh, at the matchup. The Eagles defense has been horrendous. We already know that. I don't know if it's going to get any better on Monday night. So they're going to have to survive by outscoring the Seattle Seahawks. Let's look at the numbers. The Eagles surrender. First of all, their numbers on third down 
are abysmal, which should give you every indication that they're not as good as the 49ers and Cowboys. They're not at that top tier. If, you're, if your defense can't get off the field and stop a team on third down, you're going to get ground down, and the other team's going to c- continue to move their drives, and they get in the red zone and score, right? It, it, one follows the other. Um, Eagles surrender 32.7% more yardage on third down than they do on previous downs. I think that's mind-boggling, mind-boggling statistic. Uh, The the opposing offenses convert on third downs at a higher percentage versus the Eagles, 47.8% than the league average, which is 38.7%. They allow teams to convert on third down 47.8% of the time which should tell you all you need to know. That's ridiculous. And so you got to look at what they're doing on defense. And you got to look at all this mishmash they put in there with all these guys they've gotten on the street and they've, they've thrown an aftermarket part in there thinking that it's going to solve their problems. But it hasn't because when the front four doesn't get to the quarterback and they haven't been, their back seven gives it up. All right, more statistics. The average offense converts third downs when needing three yards or less 59% of the time. The Eagles give it up 73.5% of the time. Third down and three yards or less, the Eagles are giving it up 73.5% of the time. Uh, I'm speechless. I mean, I'm speechless. I, th- these numbers are mind-bogglingly bad. Okay. First of all, let's see. Also, excuse me. They've lost four straight already. So that would be five straight losses for them. The Eagles pass defense, since we're talking about the back seven. They haven't stopped the run either. But their pass defense allows a rating of 98.4, which is 30th in the league. Now, a lot of that's because their safeties are a mishmash right now. A lot of it is because Bradbury and Slay haven't been that good, to be honest with you. Uh, 259.9 yards per game, the Eagles' defensive uh, a pass defense allows per game. That's 28th in the league. How, how are you going to beat a good team? Really? All right, I'm not done. The Eagles um, have had back-to-back games of under 20 points. They didn't score an offensive touchdown last week. So I I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Let's look at their defense. The Eagles are last in the NFL with a 48.1 rate on third downs allowed. They have only a 5.1% third down sack rate. Now, this is a team that got to the quarterback a lot. On third down, when you're thinking that you can put some heat on a quarterback, they don't get the quarterback. 5.1% sack rate on third down. They have allowed 61% conversion rate on the, in their last three games where they're giving up 451 yards on the average and 36 points per game on the average. Now, Sean Desai this week, the defensive coordinator, says they have to simplify things. <laughs> what? You, you simplify. What are you simplifying? You got guys that 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 can't play right now in in the back seven. So w- what are you simplifying? Are you gonna? Does that mean you're gonna go man to man coverage and uh, you're gonna rush five? Like I I don't understand what that means to simplify. 
they can't stop the run unless they have a five-man front. And when they have a five-man front, they, they can't cover man-to-man. And those numbers will tell you that. Um, so uh, I, I'm stunned at this whole development because the Eagles are built on a team that could get to the quarterback. They are 13th in sacks this year. They led the league last year. That's a big drop-off, goes from first to 13th. Uh, and also their ninth in pressure rate. In the last three games, they've only had three third-down sacks. And their pressure rate's terrible. So they're coming into this game, not on a high, certainly, with these woeful numbers. And so you wonder whether they are falling off the cliff, like my buddies were talking about last night, which in case they could lose to Seattle, and maybe they could lose to the Giants in one game and really kick themselves in the ass and definitely get the fifth seed and get destroyed in the second round in San Francisco. So... Let's bring in producer Darren, who's heard all these statistics and uh, knows what's at stake here. I, and I just want to be on the record. I, I am not one of those guys that say they're falling off the cliff. I'm not one of those guys that says they're going to lose to Seattle and lose the game of the Giants. I don't believe that's going to happen. I do believe they will win the rest of their games and settle into the number two seed. So, Darren, what are your thoughts? My thought For Monday, my thoughts are... The Seattle offense is going to be more of a handful than people realize. They've got maybe the best trio of wide receivers in football. You got DJ Metcalf and the Jigba. Right. Like Smith, like Jackson Smith and the Jigba, he's a rookie out of Ohio State, who was a phenomenal, undervalued wide receiver, I thought, coming out of college. Has great hands. He's already got 49 catches. And he's averaging over 10 yards a catch. What's he going to do in the slot against our slot, against our nickelbacks on Monday night? That's a huge concern. They don't win this game Monday night if they don't come out and make an absolute. They have to. They have to like just run the ball. All right, I get it. I know. I don't want to. I know that's the, it's the most uh, overused expression right now with this Eagles team. They got to run the ball more. They have to commit to the downfield run on Monday night. Seattle's giving up over 123 yards on the ground per game. That's their weak spot. They're not bad against the pass, by the way. They're pretty good pass defense. They give up less than 300 yards. They're less than 275 yards every game through the air. But on the ground, they're susceptible. And if the Eagles can commit to the run Monday night, and maybe it's hard to say this, but keep that Seattle offense off the field because our defensive yeah. backfield is so bad right now, that's a huge concern of mine. How many, how many weeks have we been saying they need to commit to the run? Well, it's not just quantity of run, Mike. Like you and I are smarter than that. It's not just run more, run more, run more. That, that's, that's a bunch of BS. They're, they don't scheme for anything. This offense right now is so predictable. Like I know what they're going to do. 60% of the time, and I, I haven't looked at an Eagles playbook in 10 years, so I have no idea what their playbook looks like right now. But they're predictable right now, especially in the red zone. I know exactly when they're going to run that quarterback draw. I know exactly when they're going to throw those bubble screens. It's just too obvious. And if I, you know. Right, so so here's, here's the question for you. Why do they not believe in DeAndre Swift? Because they don't. I don't know uh, I they, they yank him out of game and they waste carries with Gainwell and last week, even Boston Scott. And I don't get it. There's something missing 
with DeAndre Swift and his connection to this offensive, uh, uh, these offensive coaches? I, I, what is it? I feel like that he's had a lot of injury issues so far in his career, and they're going to need him in the postseason if they want to win these games. So they're saving him. I think they're preserving him. I don't know if saving's the right word. They're preserving him. Meanwhile, they're losing. So that's is that a good idea? No, I don't think you can you preserve, preserve a guy Monday. and lose. Not not now. At this point, you have to use him Monday night. You, okay. you have to. You can't preserve him anymore. And now, if they use him again, if they give him another six carries, eight carries, then it's just malpractice. Then it's just we don't have the right scheme and system for the personnel that we have. And that's an even bigger concern. That's a concern at 30,000 feet. And that's when some major changes have to happen. When they don't see that they're not running a system tailored to the personnel that they have. So if we see that again Monday night, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not. Uh, that's what my really, I'm not concerned yet, but I'll be very concerned if I see that Monday night. Okay, let's, uh, let's get to the, the big picture now. Uh, first of all, do you believe they will lose Monday night? <laughs> I think they're going to win, but it's going to be an ugly. Okay, like, you so you think they're going to yeah, win? Yeah, I, I mean, so if they win, three, then... I won't be surprised if they win this game by a point. <laughs> okay, so they win, and they run the table. Yes, because I don't okay. think the Giants have the all horses right. physically to, to keep up with them. Okay, well then, then here you go. They win Monday, they run the table, they get the second seed. Like we talked about for the last couple of weeks, right. that scenario yeah. is inevitable to me. Right. And I agree that they will win this game Monday, and they will win the rest of their schedule. There is no way that anybody can convince me that the Giants are going to beat the Eagles in one of those two games. And there's no way the Cardinals should be able to come in here and win that game either, although they're semi-dangerous at times. All right. Hold on. So, I got to ask you one yeah. more question, though, because you you said a lot early on about San Francisco. You've been saying it for weeks. San Francisco gets that home field. Is you, of your your of your opinion, they, there's no way that they're going to San Francisco and winning. Correct? None. Okay. Let me ask you this: Why? Why is San Francisco such? Are they really a home field advantage, or is it just the fact that the Eagles won't have the home field advantage for their edge? Because Philadelphia is a home field advantage. Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, is by no means a home field advantage. What are you talking about? It's not. How is that Who not the a home field advantage? the hell goes to that stadium and says, oh, man, I want to play in San Francisco where it's sunny well, wait, at night. What do you know? Do you, do you live in San Francisco? You have no idea whether that's a home field advantage. You're guessing that the Eagles have a better home field advantage. There isn't a soul alive that considers Levi Stadium a major home field advantage Mike come on all right let's let's look at what they've done so far they're a good team at, that's at not home. saying they're not a, they're well, a good anyway, I'm just saying what have they have they lost a game at home this year I don't have this they trailer. lost to the Bengals okay. all right they lost to the Bengals at home uh when they had your man crush playing that is it that is their only loss okay at home, and it was to the Bengals. They're a really That's good team. That's not a home field advantage. They're a really good so team. You, wait a minute. You're, you're making the case it? here. Hold on. You're making the case as a homer would often do. No. 
that that the not 40, that's not a big enough that not a big a deal that the Eagles should go to San Francisco. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying why do you consider San Francisco such a major home field advantage? It's always an advantage for a home team in the playoffs, not, especially a good home team. Not the last few How years. do you ignore that? Mike, because like I don't Come think on, anybody's man. scared to play in Come San on, Francisco. Are, are, Nobody wants are to play the Forty Nine or a great the, team. Not because they're okay. Are Denver's they the best team in the NFC right now? All right, let me ask you a question. Yes, they are. are. Yes. Okay. How is the best team in the NFC going to lose at home, much less just against talking. a team where I just poured out these defensive numbers? Mike, are okay. you kidding me? I'm not asking about statistics. I'm asking you about the fear of going into San Francisco. There are teams that come There's to not, Philadelphia. It doesn't matter, dude. Go to Green Bay. Talking about fear. Or go to Kansas City. This is not, Hold on. They go to Kansas City. They don't want to play there. They go to Green Bay. They don't want to play there. They go to New Orleans. They don't want to play there when they're good. They Philadelphia, the stadium itself holds oh, a little bit of a. Oh, you bought into this, this Philadelphia bully mentality when you should be looking at. A good team is not going to lose at home. I didn't say the they NFC were a bad team. I didn't even tell you the Eagles would win the damn game. I love it. I love about you. you I, lo- really I love the fact that stadium a home field advantage. I, I love the fact that sometimes your homerism comes to the surface. I really <laughs> I'm do. not a homer. And, and, I just, and you never, pre- you can never predict when it's going to come out. But this is an example. First of all, no one, all no one rips the general manager more than me. So I'm not a homer. <laughs> no one rips him more than me. Only Lou Riddick hates. Right. Only Lou Riddick hates Howie Roseman more than I do. Okay. All right. Well, listen. <laughs> you think it's possible for the Eagles to win in San Francisco? Because probably not, but not because of the home field advantage. Because it's in the suburbs of the Bay Area, and I don't think they will lose that game. Okay. All right. All right. So there you go. All right. That's that's our Eagles talk for today. Let's get into the Sixers. Well, you know, wait, it's funny because this Eagles season has really absorbed us and we haven't really talked much about the Sixers. I, I have been I got to be honest with you. I don't know what it is with me. I have been uninterested in the Sixers season. Uh, and I don't know why that is. I, I don't know because it's it's early because they didn't give me any excitement during the, the in to- uh, season tournament because they're playing bad teams and they're beating up bad teams. But um, they've won four in a row now. They're 16 and seven. They uh, they won two against the Wizards and one against the Pistons in that four in a row. But Embiid's playing at, at an all-world MVP level, and their schedule is advantageous coming up because they've got to go right now Detroit again, and then they go uh, to Charlotte and the Bulls, and then the T-Wolves will be an interesting game. And they could lose that game. And then it's the Raptors and then at the Heat. So, in a couple games, it'll get more intense. We'll get a more of a of a judgment. Uh, the thing about the Sixers that I see is that he doesn't really know. He's got 10 guys that he's playing in a rotation right now, and he hasn't zeroed in. It's almost like Villanova. Like, they can't zero in on a rotation. They're playing everybody because they're trying to figure out who blends with whom, and eventually you're going to have to cut that down and decide on people. But then you got guys like Marcus Morris complaining about playing time and this and that. And so, uh, I yeah, listen, the Sixers right now are in a lull with me. And I'm trying to get some excitement, trying to get it back. And I know I will as we get to the new year and we get to February where it starts meaning um, uh, something. But right now, the Sixers are kind of leaving me limp. I really I don't have a I don't have a feeling about them one way or the other. The league stinks. So, it's like the NFL. There's four good teams, five good teams. Yeah, the league. The league does stink. <laughs> Um, that's, that's why okay, it's like so every on. night it's like anticlimactic. Oh, the Detroit Pistons tonight. This is going to be fun. This is going to be their 90th All loss right, in a row. <laughs> here's the big issue in the NBA. It's, of course, the Draymond Green situation. And um, 
Here's the thing about uh, Draymond Green. I think he has fallen into a trap, the bully trap. Uh, I think that he has uh, he has this rep somehow that he's created for himself that he feels he has to uphold because he's from Saginaw, Michigan, and he's a street tough guy. And so the reason why this is not stopping is because he can't sell out. He can't sell out to the to the bully image because that would make him look soft. So this isn't going to be the, the last time this happens, no matter what they do. They've suspended him indefinitely. Uh, and uh, he, he's, you know, the last time this happened, uh, he said, yeah, he's learned something. He's got control. And, then, and it's all BS because inside of him, he's got the Saginaw, Michigan thing. And believe me, I've been to Saginaw, Michigan. I know how tough it is. I know how desolate it is. And I don't have to, you have to pull yourself by the bootstraps to get out of a situation like that. And he has hardened. I'm looking at this right now, and the only guy that could actually help this dude is not a psychologist. It's not the, it's his college coach. Tom Izzo has to come into play here and appeal to the Draymond who played as a 20-year-old at Michigan State and get somehow get him back to that where it, that didn't happen under Izzo. Uh, it happened when he got to the NBA. He started making money. He started uh, uh, cultivating this bully reputation, and now he can't stop it. And it's embarrassing the league, and it's embarrassing to the people that are trying to, to stick up for Draymond Green, like his own coach, Steve Kerr, who's in a tough spot, and he can't blast his own player because he'll lose that guy, and he needs that guy to win. Now, frankly, that team's not going to win anymore. They're cooked. So uh, it comes to a point in time where, Something's got to change in Golden State anyway, and it might be to move him to a to a new team. But it, it is embarrassing the league what he did. And it was more embarrassing that he tried to somehow justify it when he clearly put a De- Detroit street slap on the guy. I mean, come on. this is what happens in the streets. Like you, you, you bitch slap somebody. That's what he did to Nurkic on this play. All right, uh, let's move on now to one of my favorite subjects. Here at the top, the legacy and the legend of Tommy DeVito. Now, we've had a lot of fun with Tommy DeVito with our good fellow references and all this. And we've had a lot of fun with his celebration with the hey, with the hands, which is an emoji. Uh, and now the story gets deeper because uh, his nickname is Tommy Cutlets because his mother likes to make chicken cutlets, which is an Italian thing. And let me just uh, go off the subject for a little bit. Uh, chicken cutlets have been an Italian trait for years and years and years. Since I, and I don't know why, but uh, the Italians cultivated the chicken cutlet. Yes. Um, and Chick-fil-A ripped it off. <laughs> to be honest with you. Chick-fil-A. People but like, look at it. Oh, my God. That's so great. Well, Italian grandmothers and mothers have been making chicken cutlets for, for, for forever. And so now there's the legend of the chicken cutlet. And it comes in with Tommy DeVito. But it got to a new level when his agent showed up. His name is Sean Stellato. And he was seen on the sidelines with a pork pie hat and kind of a leather coat, looking like a bad Rocky walking the streets, meeting Gazzo in the car. And I'm going, everybody's having a laugh about this. And I don't laugh about it. I, I, ref- I thought There's, it was a radio there are certain hold, hold on. There are certain stereotypes that bug me about the Italian culture. Yeah. But they, they are never brought up. Italians are the least sensitive people ever. I've always wondered why, because all these stereotypes are foster. Like for years, I used to talk about the radio with the pizza box. Pizza box with the happy chef 
and the, the handlebar mustache. Like we're all, we all throw dough in the air. That's what, that's what we're good for. And this is a classic milking of the stereotype. And frankly, Sean Stellato bothers me. He's like the guy Mario from Bronx Tale walking the street with C who wore that stupid hat trying to look like a tough guy. All it does is enforce a stereotype uh, of a, a shady Italian character who's maybe mob connected. Darren, your thoughts. I, there's no way you could you could have convinced me that wasn't a radio stunt the other night when I saw that. I thought there was like a, a character like that they just brought out to do a, a sketch on the field that he looked ridiculous, ridiculous. Yes, I I feel the same way about the stereotype. It's it was, I can't believe he wore that hat. By the way, he looked like he wore that. He bought that hat that afternoon at a thrift store. It's not like that's like a really nice fedora. You know, like a like, but that it looked like it had been like he just pulled it out of the dryer. Like, it, yeah, he looked bad, and it was insulting a little bit. I'll be honest with you. The other thing, first of all, Chick Fil A did not steal the chicken cutlet. That is not the chicken. The Chick Fil A sandwich is not a chicken cutlet because the key to a good cutlet is you got to bang them thin. They got to be thin. The the concept is ripped off from the kitchens of Italian families. <laughs> Everything food-wise <laughs> is ripped off. To be honest with you, I had cutlets when I was two years old. I remember my mother making cutlets. And then uh, I grew up <laughs> yeah. and I went to the mall, the Oxford Valley Mall, so there's a Chick-fil-A thing. Well, they ripped off the cutlet <laughs> from, the, from the Italian kitchen. All, uh, everything uh, from and, Italian was anyway, ripped off. People say to me about the Italian thing, well, yeah, how come you really talk about the, you talk about the mom movies and you talk about the Sopranos? And I go, yeah, that amuses me because I'm on the outside looking in. I'm on the outside going, well, I'm not like that. But I could look in and get amused by that because I'm not like that. It's, it's, you know, but this is played out in real life. This Sean Stellato plays up this thing in real time. And I'm like, come on, dude. Put a suit on. Take the pork pie hat off. For Christ's sake. I don't know. All right. Anyway. <laughs> he was, uh, he was yeah. inducted into the Italian sports yeah, Hall of Fame. Don't, don't hat, dude. I mean, the, mean, the hat makes you look. The hat makes you look like. I mean, it makes you look like a jerk. Off. Yeah, it does. Okay, it does. all right. I agree. Okay, so um, let's move on now. It's time for uh, Mike Unleashed, and let's start with Shohei Otani's contract. And we all know the terms of it. He gets like two million, two million, two million, two million, two million, and at the end of the contract, they load up, and that's where uh, the seven hundred million dollars comes in. And it was smart for the Dodgers because they're saying we could be you know, like. Sports could not exist by then. <laughs> we lost, so, so whatever they got to buy, and Otani goes along with it. That's all well and good. But Otani has a clause in his contract which gives him an opt out if two executives from the Dodgers are removed for any reason. And I'm going. That is a clause that should be unconscionable. That the commissioner should void because that's almost extortion. The two executives go, that protects them for the life of the contract from not getting fired. Because if they do fire him, uh, if they do if they do fire him, Otani can opt out and go to another team. Now, why he would do that, I wouldn't know. And maybe it's all much ado about nothing. But if a commissioner looks in on that contract and go, how is that possible? The, the executives have guaranteed themselves a job. That shouldn't be a clause that you can permit in a contract. It's very, very strange. And I got to feel that both those executives, when they're negotiating this contract, put that idea in, show, uh, in Otani the agent's head because he can't benefit from that. 
It's like when the Dodgers are still going to be good. Why would they care if they move on from an executive? But those guys probably say, hey, listen. I read that it was Otani's idea. Well, because probably those guys talk to the agent in the back channel and say, listen, how about if you put this clause in the contract? That'd be great because that would protect us and we'll have stability for your client. Well, what it does is give stability to the two guys. I, I've never seen anything like this. I, it's it's the strangest contract clause ever. Now, again, it's not going to play out because Otani's uh, uh, happy with the Dodgers and they continue to win and they continue to have a big payroll to add people to make him a contender every year. Uh, those guys probably aren't going to get fired anyway. And even if they are fired, he's going to want to stay with the team anyway. So, uh, but it's just a weird contract. All right, let's move on now to back to the NBA. Greg Popovich, as you know, I uh, have uh, I have not spared my feelings for Greg Popovich. As I said uh, on the radio many years ago, uh, which was a soundbite, he's an ass face. Uh, Greg Popovich has this um, reputation of being this all-world coach. Ah, oh, it's Popovich. Well, the San Antonio Spurs, with the unicorn, Victor Wembayana, have lost 18 in a row. They are 3-20. and 20. Now, let me get to the Pistons, who hired Monty Williams. Monty Williams and Greg Popovich are the highest-paid coaches in the NBA. They both make about $8 million a year. The Pistons have lost 21 in a row under 2-22, and 22, making those two teams a combined 5-for-42 in the NBA. And Popovich is a guy who has the balls to stop a game, get a microphone, and lecture his own crowd about booing Kawhi Leonard, a guy that he railroaded. Where does it end with this guy? I'm glad to see this kind of thing happening to him. He'll never get fired, nor will Monty Williams, because they'll have to pay Monty Williams a ton. But let's move it back to Popovich. He's in the Belichick mode now. If he can't reach this team and he's not a good enough coach to win more games than he's winning with this team, what good is he? Does the owner at the end of the year have a conversation with him like Kraft is going to have with Belichick? And it could happen to a nicer guy. As far as I'm concerned, Greg Popovich is the Bobby Knight of the NBA. And I got no time for the guy. All right, let's move on. Um, George McGinnis died. Now, this hit me a little bit because George McGinnis was my favorite player. I was a big Sixer fan growing up in the 70s. The Sixers were dreck. And the resurrection of the franchise started when they got George McGinnis from the ABA. They had drafted him, uh, but... He played deferred and went to the ABA. So they had his rights, and they finally got around to signing him after he played four seasons with the Indiana Pacers and led him to a couple uh, ABA championships. I had never seen a guy like George McGinnis. He was Carl Malone before he was Carl Malone. He had that one-hand delivery. He was strong as an ox, and he single-handedly brought Philadelphia NBA basketball back to prominence. And then they added Julius Irving to go along with him, and it worked for a while until they melted down in the 77 finals when they lost to the Portland Trailblazers. But George McGinnis also touches me in a personal way because it really was my first journalism story. And let me set the table here. Uh, I was uh, a young journalist. This is before I actually graduated college. I uh, started to work as a stringer and start my journalism career to be a freelancer for the Bucks County Carrier Times, which was my hometown newspaper. Sixer training camp was at Franklin Marshall College in Lancaster, PA. 
They said, all right, why don't you go cover six for training camp? I go, wow, this is a big assignment for me. I go to Franklin Marshall College, and I'm watching training camp practice go. Now, the coach at the time was Gene Shue. Now, this was a wild Sixer bunch. They had McGinnis. They had uh, Joe Bryant. They had Lloyd Free. They had all these freewheeling, undisciplined guys that Gene Shue was trying to rein into a team. So I get into the gym, and I'm watching practice and watching the workout. The first thing I see is Gene Shue's got him on the, on the line for sprints. Now, if you've ever played basketball, you've ever been with a team, you sprint. You run suicides, you sprint. from You, know, you go from, from end line to end line, and that's how you get your cardiovascular workout. I'm watching the sprints, and these guys are intentionally messing with Gene Shue by running the sprints backwards. Now, you can't run a sprint when you run backwards. You can only go backwards, right? And I'm going, oh, my God, they're defying the coach. And he's yelling at him, come on, let's go, guys. Let's get serious about this. And they're, like, still continuing it. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is my first foray into covering professional sports. So now they start scrimmaging. It's a 5-1-5 and 10 scrimmage. In the middle of the scrimmage, I see McGinnis walk off the court and go to the side, go to the bleachers on the, on the side where he's got an equipment bag. Now the scrimmage is still going on. It's four on five. McGinnis reaches into his equipment bag and pulls out a pack of cigarettes, takes a, takes a smoke out of the pack, lights the cigarette, and starts smoking a cigarette while he's sitting on the bleachers while the scrimmage is still going on, while Gene Shue is yelling, come on, George, get back in there. McGinnis takes a long puff of the cigarette. <sighs> Gets a cigarette in his hand. With his cigarette hand, waves off Gene Shue. Like, screw you, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm enjoying a cigarette. <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God. This professional sports thing is different. From that moment on, I had a perspective on covering professional sports, that it was different than the sports I was used to. It was different in high school. It was different in college. That These guys were independent contractors, and they weren't going to listen to a coach for anything. Darren, your thoughts? First of all, I think you've told me that story before. I love that story. I love the absolute balls on McGinnis to be like, nah, I'm having a cigarette. It's I wonder if players could really get away with that nowadays, though. They probably could. no. They, 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 listen, they, 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 pro- they probably couldn't because and I don't mean a cigarette. I mean being that much, defiant. Yeah, there's too much press attention now. People always ask me, "Well, did you report that?" And I go, "I was 18 years old. There is no way at that point in my life I had the balls to put that in my story." I was there to cover tricks at training camp, get interviews with people, and I didn't have the balls. Fast forward my life as a sports talk host. I would salivate for a story like that. I couldn't wait to talk about a story like that. But that is just earned over the years as you get more cynical about what you're covering and, and you, you see the reality of what professional sports is. All right, so rest easy, George, because you were my man for, uh, for a long time. Uh, okay. Uh, have you seen the um, 30 for 30, the new 30 for 30 with Reggie White? Not yet. No. Plan on watching it very soon. Apparently, I'm in it. Now, I was interviewed for this maybe two years ago. I didn't know when they were going to get around to releasing this thing. And it was done in the first Unitarian Church. That's where they do the interviews. So uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I got all kinds of texts and tweets about 
me being in it. So uh, your homework assignment, Darren, is to watch it and tell me what I said. Because I can't watch myself. <laughs> I can't listen to myself or watch right. myself either. I can't, I can't watch myself. I don't know what it is uh, on television. Uh, all right. One other tidbit. Uh, you know, uh, Mike Unleashed goes all over the place here on the Mike Missinelli podcast. Uh, and these are kind of meaningless stories. But uh, uh, it was a story I caught. The, they opened an In-N-Out Burger. Have you been to In-N-Out Burger, Darren? No. I haven't. Okay. Not. It's, it's, a, it's a California. It's, it's a legendary there, California burger joint. No. Uh, I have been uh, in, in a couple of the tremendous burgers, uh, so I highly recommend them. But an In-N-Out Burger joint was opened in Meridian, Ohio, Idaho, excuse me, Meridian, Idaho. People were so enamored that they waited in a massive line for up to eight hours to get an In-N-Out Burger, which tells you one of two things. Either the In-N-Out Burger is sensational. Well, there ain't nothing to do in Idaho, brother. <laughs> you waited a line for a burger for eight hours. I mean, are you kidding me? There's nothing Seriously, on earth. I can't. I can't wait in a Chick Fil A line if it's five cars long. Much less wait eight hours in Idaho for a burger. There's nothing on earth I would wait four hours in line for, let alone eight. Nothing. All right. Nothing. Last thing. Last thing I want to talk about, and I want you to check on this. I'm uh, learning Spanish, relearning Spanish. I took Spanish very early in my life, took it in college. It eroded, so I'm trying to get back into it. So, uh, obviously, I'm trying to uh, expand my vocabulary. And uh, uh, in my last tutoring session, uh, we went over clothing items. And uh, gloves are, in Spanish, guantes. Now, this is uh, what goes through the mind of somebody who's involved in sports as long as I have. When I heard guantes were gloves, I thought of a baseball player from the past that somehow I remember. I had this memory of players that stick in my head, the names of players. And so to me, guantes reminded me of a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates named Cecilio Guante. Now, I want you to check on that right now to tell me if there was a baseball player named Cecilio Guante. G-U-A-N-T-E. Can you do that for me right now? All right, here we go. Cecilio Guante. Position, the pitcher. He bats a right. He throws a right. He was 6'3", 200 pounds. Hang on. Pittsburgh Pirates. He is from the Dominican Republic. He put a picture of the Pittsburgh Pirates. How about that? (laughs) See, this this is how my brain works. I'm trying to learn Spanish clothing items. Guantes, your gloves. Bolsa is a handbag. El Goro is a winter coat. And I go, Guantes. That reminds me of Cecilio Guantes. Cecilio Guantes pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 82 <laughs> to 86. That, 87 now, for the Yankees, 88 for right, the pitch, now, and then the Yankees. Does this make me demented? What's that? Does this make, is that weird? No. Does that make me demented that I would think of uh, obscure Dominican relief pitcher named Cecilio Guante? No, man. Sports, particularly baseball, it's just it's weird. We're just we're 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 savants uh, when it comes to that stuff. All right, that's the end today for Mike. Do you know what pants is? You know what pants is in Spanish, right? Pantalones. Pantalones. What's shorts? 
Short pantalones. <laughs> Los pantalones del corto. Del corto. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, it is time now for our picks of the week. Oh. No college games. The bowl, bowl games are boring me. I don't have any opinion on the bowl games right now. So no, I'm Myrtle Beach Bowl is not doing it for you? The Myrtle Beach Bowl. 11 a.m. No, tomorrow. Uh, nope. So let's go in the NFL. Uh, a fishy line here. So I'm going to ride it. Steelers getting a point and a half at the Colts. That's fishy. I get the Steelers winning that game. They won't even need the point and a half. I'll take the Steelers in that game. I, the Steelers have been terrible. But then I look at the line. Go, eh, they, they should be. They should be more of an underdog than a point and a half. So that tells me the Steelers are going to bounce back and win that game. Uh, let's go Broncos at the Lions. Lions coming off, uh, uh, you know, I don't know about that team. They're they're so erratic. But they're a four and a half point favorite at home against the Broncos. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Lions to, to take some prisoners this week. I could be wrong. And then finally, I'm going to go with the Rams against the lousy commanders. Rams at home, a solid six and a half point favorite. So my picks are the Steelers. Get a point and a half. The Lions minus four and a half. The Rams minus six and a half. What are your picks? Well, everybody knows that when you and I are in the same game, that it's I think it's under think it's five and zero or six and zero this year now. Lions love the Lions minus four and a half. Denver did what they're going to do this year. I think the Lions went strong, covered that four and a half at home against Denver, and I like Buffalo. I think Buffalo covers the two at home against Dallas. Dallas has been riding high. I think they're due for a bit of a letdown. Big emotional win for them at home last week. Now they got to go to Buffalo, where Buffalo needs the game. Buffalo is playing very well right now. Bills minus two. Lions minus four against Denver. Bills minus two against Dallas. Okay. Then you, then you got Dallas maybe losing that game. Yeah, I think they lose Sunday. I do. You, got, you think Dallas loses the Buffalo? I do. Oh, well, that would ease the minds of, of Philadelphia uh, Eagles fans. All right. It is now time for... Our end of the week, three questions for a Mikey Miss. Three Darren, questions. what do you got? All right, here we go. Three questions, Mikey Miss. First question, Christmas is coming. What's the worst Christmas gift you ever received? Like either thoughtless I've never gotten, or just... I've never gotten a worst Christmas gift. You've never? Never. Okay. I've never gotten one because this is the way I look at it. Right. Anybody that gives you a gift has good intentions. Okay. So who am I to judge a gift? I have never, ever, ever gotten a bad Christmas gift because I refuse to look at it that way. Because if I look at it that way, I demean the person who actually gave me the gift, and I don't want to do that. And that's a good answer. And I, but I'm going to tell you a quick story about a gift that I got that I know was a regret. Okay. Uh, when we back when our days when we worked at uh, WIP together, there was a time when I produced a lot of shows. I did the show before you and Steve, and then the show after you, and. Um, the person that would come on after you gave me, and this is a time where I already had a cell, cell phones were around, I had a cell, cell phones were prevalent in society, text messaging was prevalent in society, and he gave me a wall phone that, that you plug into the wall. Uh-huh. And I thought, who, like, that's a thoughtless gift that's something that was lying around at, because if I have a home line, do I not have a home phone already? Then it's not like this is some nice, like, Eagles, whatever, gold phone, anything. It was a dark blue wall phone, the thin rectangular ones. So what I did with that phone was I never got, I got in trouble for this. I, I went home. I got a, my hammer and some nice nails. And I came back the next day. 
and I, I hammered the phone, the base of the phone, into the wall of the producer studio, and then hung the phone on the wall, and it was a phone to no one, and it just sat there for years. That's such, wall such for an ingrate. Such an ingrate thing to do. That 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 <laughs> gift was given to you. Maybe this special blue phone would look better than the, the crappy one that you have yeah, smudged all over your head. Cordless. First of all, it was a wall phone at a time. Not only were cell phones around, everyone had a cordless phone. This was a wall phone with a wire attached. That I mean, look, it was the like one Tony hours. Soprano had when, when he tried to call nine one one when Uncle June shot him in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what's question, question number question two? Question number two. Well, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I have a quick story about that, that as far as Christmas. I have a little joke. Okay. Since we talked about Italian stereotypes and, and, and we're talking about Christmas presents now, getting a gift, I, I think I'll tell you this joke right now. All right. Okay. So uh, there's a little Irish kid and a little Italian kid, and uh, they're talking about Christmas and the gifts they're going to get. And the Irish kid goes, I'm getting a bicycle. Ha and the Italian kid goes, well, how do you know you're getting a bicycle? He goes, because I, uh, I was down in the, in the basement. And I was looking around, and I saw a sheet covering something. I pulled the sheet out, and it's a bicycle. So I know I'm getting a bicycle for Christmas. So the Italian kid, not to be outdone, says, yeah, well, I'm getting a bicycle too. And he goes, you're getting a bicycle? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, where's, where's the bicycle? He goes, it's in my father's pants. He said, what, it's in your father's pants? What do you mean? He goes, well, I told my father that I wanted a bicycle, and he, he grabbed his crotch and said, here's your bicycle right here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, que que question number two. Oh, how do I follow that? Que question number two. What's the most used app on your phone that you use outside of, like, maps what do you use a twitter. lot of every day Give me a good twitter. app twitter okay that's <laughs> it's the only one i use kind of, is that real you don't have any like any particular sports apps or movie apps like i use imdb a lot imdb is a great app if you want to look up movies no, i i i google everything i use my google app to google imdb like i don't have i don't know why i would have uh, and I don't use hardly any of the apps that I have on my phone. I use the weather app that's and I use Google Maps I, app. I have a couple of weather apps I use. That's a good. That's a good call. Weather apps are great, yeah. especially in the summertime. We're looking for that. East Maybe occasionally a USA Today app, uh, but I get all that at my email anyway. So, all right. All right. This is right there is proof that we don't rehearse these questions prior right. to the show. All right. Number three. Uh, Mike, Christmas is coming. Christmas break. Give me a good movie, TV show, documentary that I should watch besides right. the Reggie White 30 for 30. What should I be watching? I'm glad you asked break? this question because I, I put this out on Twitter over the last couple of days. Okay. There's a documentary going on right now, a real-life documentary. It, see, in 1989, and I remember this vividly. I was working for the Inquirer. This was a national story. The documentary is called Murder in Boston. You can watch the first two episodes. It's a three-episode uh, documentary. Uh, the first two you can watch on HBO right now. Murder in Boston, and it was about the case of Charles Stewart, who in 1989 claimed that his wife was shot in the head. They were in the car. They said they, The guy said he was carjacked, and, and they moved the car towards the projects in Roxbury in Boston, which already had racial problems. Uh, the wife was shot in the head. She was pregnant. She died, the baby wound up dying, and he got shot in the side. Uh, 
and he was uh, in uh, critical condition for a while, and he survived. He cl- he claimed that he was hijacked by a five foot ten, about thirty year old black man who jumped in the car, tried to rob him, and wound up shooting them both. There was a manhunt throughout Boston where white police officers went into the projects and, and busted down every door and, and went in to try to find this supposed killer of these two white people. You got to watch the documentary. It's called Murder in Boston. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a national story that, that captivated the nation. And I'm not going to tell you what happened. I know what happened, obviously. So for the people that don't know what happened, I'm not going to tell you how this ended up. But watch it right now. It's on HBO. I highly recommend it. Awesome. Like a good, I like a good three-parter doc. Uh, there you go. That's three questions. For my All right. Parting thought today. Uh, people who are talked about too much. You know, listen, I have all kinds of respect for people who made a lot of money in whatever venture they did, especially in journalism. I don't understand half of the people who have made a ton of money in, in the journalism business, the sports journalism business uh, 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 in particular. So, uh, but I'm every time, like these people are in the news every time, and I go, why would I care what they have to say? And yet it goes on and on and on. The first one is Dave Portnoy. Now, listen, I, I don't know. People are going to say, well, if I kiss Coach he would got to be more successful. All right, he created this barstool sports thing, which connected with the younger people. It's not my thing. But but this guy's romance is in, in the news. This guy, I'm going who the freak is Dave Portnoy that I got to be reminded every day that he's some kind of public figure? All right. And, and I know people don't see it that way. They kind of like this guy. I don't know why. Megyn Kelly is another one. I'm going, why is Megyn Kelly? The New York Post has a story about her in every day, what she said on her freaking podcast. Who cares what Megyn Kelly has to say? All right, let's move on. Bill Simmons. I, I, I don't get it. I, I Listen, God bless it. I don't know how these people have done it, but they've done it. He's a multimillionaire. He created this ringer concept, a whole bit. I'm tired of hearing about what Bill Simmons said. I don't give a flying F what Bill Simmons said. And finally, Elon Musk. Guy, I'm so tired of Elon Musk being in the news. I can't take it anymore. Please go, go into one of your Teslas and hide out for two months. Give me a break. I don't want to hear about this guy anymore. All right? That's my I couldn't agree shot. with you more on Musk. Aaron Rodgers is another one. I'm tired of seeing his face on TV. Yeah, and, and, and uh, the other dude who, that hosts him, Pat McAfee. I'm tired. I've got to overload on McAfee and Aaron Rodgers. I can't take it anymore. I like Please. McAfee. I, I do like McAfee, but I do not like Aaron Rodgers. Oh, what do you like about McAfee? What do you like about I, him? I wish I had his energy. The guy is my age and has three times the energy. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, he has his energy. And I'm a high energy guy. His energy. I don't it's know a how clown. He does. It's a clown show. Right. I just want his energy. There's people know. like you that make those people like them famous. All right, that's the end. Let's close it down. Happy Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can get in touch with me on email. I know I said a lot of things that might uh, solicit a uh, uh, interesting response to me in an email. It's Mike at MikeMiss.com. Uh, check me out on Twitter at MikeMiss25. Again, the Cameo. I can give you a Cameo, a special holiday New Year's shout-out. You go to Cameo.com, put my name in there. And uh, I just gave a, a guy a couple days ago a nice little shout-out. I have fun with those Cameos, so uh, uh, help me out with those. 
Uh, and also, I get a children's book out. It'd be a great gift. Go to Amazon.com. It's called The Adventures of Shima the Sheba. Uh, I just read to a class last week. I'm having fun reading the classes. I love going into the elementary schools and reading my children's book. It's given me like kind of a, a, a new lease. Uh, I feel, it makes me feel good to talk to the kitties and read the book about my dog. Uh, anything else I got going? Oh, uh, the winery in Tally Vineyards. I'm giving, I'm giving the gift of wine to a lot of people this year. So get over to Tally Vineyards. In fact, my man, Mike Gill, who does the show in Atlantic City, says the winery open uh, tomorrow? Of course it's open tomorrow. It's Saturday. Get over to the Tally Vineyards and uh, sit in our nice wine tasting room and taste some wines and hang out. It's a good thing to do. Uh, all right. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm going to pl- play a little golf tomorrow. This is amazing. Global warming has allowed me to play golf in December. And then next week, I go under the knife with a knee operation. So what we'll do... We'll be live from the surgery. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll do a podcast on Tuesday and then... No amnesia. No no, no, amnesia. Anesthesia. So I don't know if there's going to be another podcast that week. But (laughs) everybody have a great uh, rest of the day and a great weekend for the Mike Missnelli podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers for Darren. Uh, I'm Mike Missnelli. Uh, uh, have a great one, everybody. Thanks for listening and watching. Tell your friends and neighbors. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.